Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and we're going to be talking about revival and awakening today. I believe that you can be a part of seeing a move of the Spirit of God right where you are, in your home, in your city, in your region. I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit, bring awakening, bring His kingdom right where you are. And uh, you may not realize it, but you might be standing on a deep well of revival right where you are in your, in your city, in your town, in your nation. And there may be some simple things that you and your community can do to begin to unlock the flow of the well of revival that God would begin to move more and more right where you are, right in your city. And we want to encourage you. We want to give you faith today. And we want to give you some practical tips even on how you can be a part of what God wants to do right there where you are, wherever you are based. And so I've got my great friend with me today, Dr. Michael Thornton. Uh, from Greenville, South Carolina. He's a part of Garden Church, and he's the director of Garden College there in Greenville, South Carolina. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Matthew, it is so good to be here. I love you, my brother. I do miss you in person. I know we miss have a good, a good history. Yeah. Yes, man. A good long history that goes back uh, many years now yeah. into the Carolinas. Uh, we've traveled America together. It's true. It's really awesome to be here with you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to talk with you too. Maybe just take a minute, introduce yourself, share a little bit about your ministry, your family, kind of what you're doing there. Absolutely. Uh, so as uh, Matthew said, I'm Michael. I am married to Amber Thornton, my beautiful wife of uh, 15 years, 15 years of marriage. Awesome. And uh, we have five beautiful children, four daughters and one son. That's right. I said <laughs> four daughters and one son. And uh, Matthew knows what I'm talking about. Our sons, they're the smallest yeah. out of our, our girls. Uh, we share that in common. But we're, we're in Greenville, and um, I have the privilege and the honor to serve as a director of Garden College, which is a three-year uh, discipleship school that has an on-campus and online presence here in Greenville. Uh, we have some students as far as England on our online program, and that is just amazing, a, a beautiful joy to see how God is is growing, fathering, and mothering this next generation into what God is calling them to do. My wife, Amber, also serves alongside with me here. She's actually a trauma counselor on staff here at the church, and she counsels with leaders, both pastoral marketplace and students as well. So, But yeah, our, our kids, all part of the community, uh, part of the school here. So we're, we're deeply ingrained. It's awesome. I love it, man. Well, this is podcast produced by Awaken the Dawn. And so we love tents and you and I <laughs> have connected over the years through tents in an interesting way, originally kind of through revival history here in Eastern North Carolina, where our family is back now here, at Greenville, North Carolina, you're Greenville, South Carolina, mm -hmm. but you and I connected around really revival history of this region. And then God led us on this fun journey of doing some tents especially here in Eastern North Carolina, but like you said, even in other parts of the country. And I know that you guys just did a tent recently there 
uh, I thought maybe you could just share a little bit about what you guys did. Cause I'm sure it was, it seemed like it was awesome. Saw some stuff on Instagram. So yeah, maybe just give us a quick update. What's going on. You guys have a tent right out in front of your church. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We have one right now. I don't know what it is. I've just come to realize tents follow us wherever we go. <laughs> we find ourselves in tents and, uh, we just got done doing a weekend of day and night worship and prayer here on campus. And basically, our church every year has a gathering called the Table Gathering. It's like the annual gathering. They've been doing it for eight years. Um, This year was the first year we decided to do it under the tent Mm. and also add day and night worship and prayer to it. And so, you know, typically it's been a conference style where we invite speakers, even breakouts, and, and you do those things. But this year, our senior leader, Chad, felt from the Lord that we're not going to invite any speakers this year. We're going to minister to the Lord. Wow. And so we just, we just built day and night prayer and the community came around home groups, musicians, youth. And we just, as a family, we took turns in keeping the fire lit on the altar. And then we just had, had wild nights of just uh, food and fellowship. One thing, and Matthew, you know, this is that we learned Food is a major, major part of the kingdom in the New Testament. Yeah. There is a paradox to it, right? There's feasting and there's fasting. Yeah. And so we had a beautiful marriage of the two, of feasting and fasting. And so at night, we'd have these big Moravian-style love feasts with the community, but all in the context of worship. Yeah. It's really powerful. I love it. Yeah, that was the cool part about when when we were doing some tents together for that season was you really had a heart for evangelism, revival, even hospitality, compassion, making food for people. And, you know, we were typically would set up in low income neighborhoods typically. Uh, and then we were doing burns. We were doing the day and night worship and prayer. And so we were like, let's throw in together. Let's do day and night worship and prayer, <laughs> but also let's feed people. Let's share the gospel with people. And this is back 2014, 15, 16. So really before yeah. Awaken the Dawn really even kind of blew up into a national tent movement, we were here doing basically the exact same thing. And now through ATD, there's tents continuing to happen all over the nation. I wow. mean, and and some some of it we keep up with, but some of it the Lord is just uh, stirring people's hearts to do tents, just like what you guys are doing there. So I've shared before, I think on here, I, I kind of have a, a love-hate relationship with tents. You know, I really love... <laughs> indoor plumbing and heat and air, (laughs) but there's something about tents that God likes, something that they speak to, I think, prophetically about what's in God's heart to tabernacle with his people and also to welcome the lost into his presence. I think that that there's sort of no walls, you know, he invites people in to know him. So yeah. Any other thoughts on tents, Mike, before we kind of shift? You know, I, I talked to the father about this a lot. And I said, what is it with tents? Right. You know, because in the Bible, he told David, David had such a desire to build him a house. Mm-hmm. And he's like, David, you know, I'm, I've never complained. I, I don't mind being in the tent. And this is what I've come to the fact of, Matthew. This is what I heard the Lord say. He said, Michael, I like tents. <laughs> That's it. He said, I like tents. That's what I've come to learn at all these years. Yeah. The father really likes tents. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's true. You can't get away from them. I can't get away from them. So we'll see. I wrote a, I wrote a whole book about a tent, the one that David set up. Excellent book, by the way. Thanks, man. 
Well, you've got some books too. I encourage people to check out Mike's books. Uh, one is called Fire in the Carolinas. I know you've got another one called Igniting Cities. You don't have another one, do you, that I missed? Not yet Not published, yet. Okay. but I have, I have two that I'm about to finish and publish. Amazing. Awesome. Look forward to those. Well, well the first two you wrote really are about revival. Uh, one is, mm-hmm. is more of a history of some things in the Carolinas here. And the other one is more of a guide, um, some, some keys and things on how to, well, let's see, it says a guide to breaking open the wells of revival in cities, campuses, and regions. So yeah, just share a little bit about why revival history matters. Maybe this, this idea mm-hmm. of wells of revival, share maybe some of your journey, because I know the Lord's had you on a journey of going to places where there's been revivals and you know, praying and contending to see, you know, some of what's happened before happen again, but even on a greater level. So why does revival history matter? It matters. It matters a whole bunch because when you begin to understand that God moves in generations and not just what's going on with us, Mm. it really opens you up to the fact that, wow, we are involved in a narrative, in a storyline that is connected to people who lived before us centuries ago. And we're actually invited to carry in what God started in them and to bring it where we're supposed to bring it in our generation and then hand it off to the next. Mm. Um, it, it really, when you begin to see it that way, I think you really begin to understand, wow, God really does value wells of revival, lands, and, uh, and the generation storyline. A big thing, Matthew, that really got me into this was actually a powerful insight from John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is the famous story, right, of when Jesus went to the woman at the well. Yeah. And um, a lot of us know this story. And when he goes there, when I first read it, it said he went to the town of Sychar and sat by Jacob's well. And that always really bothered me in a good way. And it led me to investigate. I got to, I got to, what is about this place? And so that led me to understanding something very miraculous. And this is what it was. Joshua 24, John 4 led me back to Joshua 24. And that's when Joshua carried the nation of Israel into uh, the promised land. The final chapter, the whole book of Joshua is about conquest of the land. But the final chapter is different, and it's about settling into the land. Hmm. In the last part of that chapter, there's this bizarre passage. Bizarre, never knew what to do with it. And it's basically says that they took Joseph's bones from Egypt and buried him at that spot. And that spot is named Shechem in Joshua 24. Well, when I thought about they buried Joseph's bones— in Shechem, I thought, wait a minute, here's, a, here's a something to think about. Joseph, bones, I said, wait a minute, they traveled the desert for 40 years. So that meant they carried a coffin in the desert for 40 years. Wow. And then I did a little math, and I said, well, wait a minute. From the time Moses led out of Egypt into to the desert, from the time Joseph died to Moses, the Bible says that's 400 years. So you hmm. mean to tell me that Joseph's bones were 400 years old, even before they set out on the, on the journey. And then the Hebrews carried a coffin of Joseph's bones that had been around for 400 years into this spot so they could put his bones to rest 
at the land of Shechem. Wow. That blew my mind. It's crazy. Blew my mind. And isn't it crazy? Because it showed me, Matthew, that wow, the Israeli people, the Hebrew people value the generational storyline. They value the forefathers so much they would do that. But here's the other thing, Shechem. I said, what is it about this place, Shechem? So I, I looked it up in Hebrew. I was stunned when I realized the Greek translation for Shechem is Sychar. So then I was like, oh my gosh. So back to John 4, Jacob's well, Joseph's bones, uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Yeah. So now this, this opened me up, Matthew, because this is what really started me biblically on this whole journey of redigging wells and how important it is, is that when Jesus went to the woman at the well, there was a couple dynamics going on. See, there's two wells. There's always the well within us, and there's the well within the land. Mm. And those two wells hold the waters of God. And so when Jesus went to the woman at the well, he was tapping open her well out of your belly, right? Rivers of living water shall flow. Yeah. But he was also tapping open the generational well that was right there. And so if you think about it this way, Jesus has a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan, who was basically a racial barrier. Yeah. There was cultural barriers. Jesus broke that, right, by talking to her and, and essentially showing her love and forgiveness. And it strikes me that as Jesus is talking to her at this well, underneath Jesus's feet and that woman's feet rest the bones of Joseph and acts as even his brothers. Mm. So essentially, Jesus is offering forgiveness to the Samaritan woman on the bones of Joseph, who offered forgiveness to his brothers when they treated him unjustly. I know that's a lot to unpack, but that passage alone showed me that there are two wells that the Father desires to break open. There's wells in us, Mm. and there's wells in the land. And somehow, Matthew, I've learned that the two wells are connected together. The man is always tied to the land. So there is what he's doing in us is also connected to what he's doing into the land and the regions he calls us mm. to. That's so good. So how are they connected? Uh, that's a, What a great question. So here, here's the deal. So the Samaritan woman, right, at that place, so what Jesus is doing in her, he's freeing her up. He's, he's releasing that forgiveness. Essentially, when she said, listen, I got five married, my five husbands, <laughs> right. and this one ain't working, you know, She's the woman's in sin. I mean, there's just no other way to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Now, Jesus doesn't say that, but by him merely conversating, by his presence, his love, his asking questions brings that conviction. And then that redemption, her eyes are open. And here's what's wild, Matthew. That's the connection because at that Shechem place, Joseph forgave his brothers. Jesus is forgiving this woman, essentially. So, what's happening within the woman? is also what was buried in the land. Mm. So there's there's a DNA connection of what the what's forgiveness was laid in the land as a foundation. Right. And it's like Jesus and that Samaritan woman are tapping into that DNA and forgiveness is breaking a racial cultural barrier. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So forgiveness was in the land, but forgiveness was what was happening in her heart as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible. A thousand percent. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Here's one last part of that story that I think a lot of us don't realize or just just skip over. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating that she is the first person 
she is the first person where Jesus in the Gospels reveals himself plainly as the Messiah. He hadn't even done that to his 12 yet. But he says to that woman in John 4, I am he who am speaking to you, the Messiah. Yeah. So you take a step back and think, wow, not only was she was a woman, which was, again, that was a big cultural thing then, but also a Samaritan. She was privileged with the honor of seeing Jesus plainly as who he was. He revealed himself to her. That was the first. And she becomes essentially, you ready? The church's first evangelist. (laughs) The church's first evangelist. And I have to believe that there, even though there's something going on deep personally, it's also connected to what Joseph laid the groundwork for years and centuries prior that's in that same region. And so when we talk about redigging wells, when we talk about setting tents up and filling the air with unending worship and prayer because he's worthy, what if we're also tapping into similar things that happened on that same piece of land or region with our ancestors? There's a synergy that happens that that begins to break open. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) So good. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so that term, just to kind of give some context for people, the, the phrase well of revival, I don't know who exactly came up with it. I know Lou Engel wrote a book some years back using that term, but there's this idea of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Abraham dug a well, and then Isaac redug it, and then Jacob redug it. And so it's this idea of going back to a place related mm. to your forefathers or the generations before you, going back to that place and redigging, yes. opening back up something that they had labored for, something they had worked for in the previous generations. And that that if we can sort of uncover what has happened in the years before, the generations before, that there'll be this flow of life uh, and this release of God's purposes again. And so yes. anyway, that's where that idea of wells of revival, that's why we call it wells of revival, because there's that biblical, that biblical principle there. So Mike, would you encourage people to do some research. I mean, I know you do a lot of research. You study, I mean, you wrote a whole book on revival history that's really some groundbreaking stuff for the Carolinas, but would you encourage people to do some research and study history? Oh, a thousand percent I would. I wholeheartedly would. I mean, Hosea said, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Mm. And uh, there is a responsibility for us, especially in the generation we live in now, where technology and research tools and devices are at our fingertips yeah. more than ever, where it's easy, it's more convenient and quicker. Absolutely. I, I think there's no question. We should absolutely study things out. Now, I also understand that we are made differently. We carry different graces. You know, sure. not everybody's going to have a grace or a stirring to research or dig. That could be the thought of that could be draining or, <laughs> or you know, just not in you. Yeah. That's okay. Find somebody next to you that does right. because there is a real strong value in it. You know, we, we talk here a lot about the power of, let's say, the Logos word, the written word, but also the Rhema word. What I have learned, you need both. Yeah. If I have a stronger foundation with the Logos word, if I have more, uh, more of a foundation in me of the written word or, or, or an understanding of those things, then I give a greater opportunity for more Rhema to land on my big landing pad of Logos. Mm. So I, I see that the same way. So if I have a really strong knowledge base historically of a region city, then I'm going to give an opportunity to receive more rhema of what the Spirit's saying for that region. Right. 
Totally. Maybe share a little bit about your journey in some of this, how you've seen this play out. Oh. I think the revelation you just gave is awesome. It's all, it's also pretty, I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's wonderful. But give us some like practical, give us some story. Like I know you've been mm. on a journey with the Holy Spirit in your own life of trying to, you know, follow this principle that you just laid out in the scripture. So maybe just give people yes. a little bit of context for your own life, what this has looked like. Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. That's, that's absolutely. I want to I want to take a few minutes and share a personal story of how that revelation worked out practically in my life. I was a Bible college student uh, in Dunn, North Carolina, and I was a small small Pentecostal college. I came out of rehab because before I knew the Lord, I was I was really messed up in drugs, and I got radically saved. God sent me to a small Bible college in Dunn, North Carolina. Here's what's wild about the backstory of that is my father is from Dunn, and all of my dad's side of the family is from that town. I had never been there in my life until I became a Bible college student. Well, I'm there, and I never forget, I heard our theology professor speak of a revival movement that took place in Dunn, North Carolina in 1906 and in 1907 called the Azusa East Revival. I had heard of Azusa Street in California, but not Azusa East and and, North, and Dunn in North Carolina, and it just struck me. And he he mentioned the minister whose name was G.B. Cashwell, and he went from North Carolina to California, got filled with the Holy Spirit, brought the movement back to Dunn, rented a three-story tobacco warehouse, and all these people from the South came, and the Holy Spirit broke out, and basically the same miracles and the same Holy Spirit movements that were happening in Los Angeles begin to occur in Dunn, North Carolina. I'll use the word phenomenon. It was a spiritual phenomenon that was happening. Yeah. And he's explaining this to me, Matthew, and I'm burning inside. All the other students in the class, they're barely staying awake, you know, it's history. <laughs> but for some reason, I couldn't shake it. Yeah. I, I went to him after class and I said, hey, where did this take place? And he goes, well, we don't know. He goes, there's a generalized thought of where this took place, but, but we really don't know the exact location. So I said, well, tell me where, where that is. And so he told me, and you know, it's young, I'm, I'm on fire, and, and I'm like, I'm going to find out where this was. And so I get in my car, 
little Ford Escort hunchback car. And I go and I start driving around this little town done. And all of a sudden I get to a stop sign and I see a vacant lot to the right. And I get out of my car and I walk on that vacant lot. There's a little church, little old old African-American church right next to it. And I said, Father, could this been of the place? And I remember the only thing I felt was electricity. That's how I could describe it. I felt like electricity went through my body. I began to cry. I became emotional. And I didn't hear anything from the Lord, but I had that sense and that feeling run through me. And I said, maybe this was it. And, and then that was it. And Matthew, I, I forgot about the whole experience. I ended up graduating. Three years later, I'm in Virginia Beach, student at Regent University. And I'm sitting home in our, our apartment one day, and I get, a, I get a letter in the mail with a newspaper clipping. And it's a friend of mine from North Carolina, and it says, hey, we think you should go to this and, and check into it. And basically what it was is it was a, it was a ceremony. The, the Several Pentecostal churches in eastern North Carolina got together and dedicated the Azusa East Revival site with a big state marker. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they found the place. It's, they found it. So the article said basically this research team was hired for 18 months to find out where this Azusa East took place. More, more national attention was coming to it. And so I said, wow. And so it just stuck me. And that, that same burning revisited me. And mm. I couldn't sit still. And I said, Father, what do you want me to do? And he said, go to Dunn. Drove in the car five hours, and I met with the researchers in a hot dog stand. <laughs> and they go, this is unbelievable. They said, do you want us to take you to the site? I said, yep. And Matthew, we went over to the site. And sure enough, it was the same lot wow. where I stepped onto three, four years prior. And that's when I begin to understand there is something deeper. God is calling me to know something more. This isn't just history. This isn't just a good understanding of what happened in this town. I feel I'm personally connected to this, what, whatever God did, you know, this story. Yeah. And then, and Matthew, all of a sudden, I started digging into this. And when I found out, blew me away. And now listen to this last part of the story. So I start researching everything I can about this minister, G.B. Cashwell. Yeah. I get so undone because of through him, he basically brought the whole Pentecostal movement to the South. Yeah. Twelve Pentecostal denominations were born. I mean, it was huge. But what struck me the most is he was only in the movement for three years and then he disappeared. No one knew what happened to him. And I'm like, I have to find out what happened to this man. Yeah. And so one day I visited the Dunn Cemetery where he was buried, went to the graveyard, stood on his bones. Can't get away from it. It's a John 4 moment. It's a Jesus at the woman at the well. It's Joshua putting the bones of Joseph at Shechem. And I stood on his grave and I, this is my prayer to God. I said, Father, I don't understand what's going on in me and what you're doing. All I know is somehow my life is connected with this man's life who lived a hundred years ago. And if you're calling me to finish what he started, my answer is yes. I have no idea what it means, but my answer is yes. Mm. Matthew, two weeks later, two, three weeks later, my aunt, who's not even saved, doesn't even know the Lord, has nothing to do with any of this, calls my father and says, hey, I've been doing our family genealogy, hired a genealogist, spent $5,000 before mm. Ancestry.com came out. Yeah. And she said, I've compiled a book of our family records, and I'd like to give them to you. So we meet my aunt. We go. 
And all of a sudden, I start looking through the book and I drop it. My mouth drops because I look and I find out that Cashwell is one of my daggone descendants. I've actually descended from this man because he was from Dunn, as was my family. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this is my answer to your prayer. Mm. This, is, this isn't just a flash in the pan. Your entire life missionally is connected to what this man did 100-something years ago. And that's when I knew, okay, the redigging of the wells is a very real concept. Last part of this, and Matthew, this is where you come in. You remember this. In this same little town, Dunn, North Carolina, that story is what led me to write Fire in the Carolinas, the book on Cashwell's life. So through that process, word got out, and a teacher in the Dunn High School came to me and basically said, would you come share your testimony at the public high school in Dunn? North Carolina. I said, absolutely, I will. And it was like 70 choir workers, the kids, the high school students, all their families, like a thousand people in the auditorium. And Matthew, that night, the spirit of God broke out and 50 kids rushed the altar in a public high school, got saved. A Holy Spirit movement broke out in the high school. And that's what started the tent, the Jesus tent. But that's not the point I want to make. The point I want to make is this. It just blows my mind that prayers in done, that saying yes to God in done from what God did a hundred years ago seemed to open a door in my present that looked like a whole high school getting impacted. Wow. You can't make that stuff up, man. <laughs> That's incredible. Amazing. I love the story uh, that the Lord's writing in your life and the principles, the lessons we can learn from it. So, I mean, not everybody's going to have quite a dramatic story as you've had (laughs) with some of this stuff, but I think anybody can begin to understand their place in the story that God's writing Mm. and begin to tap into his purposes for their lives and for their city, the region they find themselves in. What have you seen in terms of like, how do you begin to redig? I mean, we kind of use that phrase, but what does that actually mean? How do you begin to redig the wells of revival. You go, oh man, my great-grandfather, he he was a missionary and I found this out. Or in my city, the circuit riders came through and there was a revival or something in the past. You know, if, if you begin to discover these wells, how do we begin to uh, redig them? Does that make sense? Perfect sense. First practical step is the best one. And that's obviously pray yep. and ask the Holy Spirit specifically though for direction on what you're sensing, what you're feeling, what you feel like he's leading you to. Second step is, to me, digging the well is the research process. Mm. So if we look at Isaac, who said he redug his father's wells, Abraham's, you know, that was not easy work. Back in Bible days, they filled it with earth. You know, they stuffed the well. So you had to get your hands dirty to redig a well. You had to get down in the trenches. You had to scoop out mud. You had to scoop out a bunch of stuff to get to that pure water, that artesian well. So redigging the wells does look like a lot of not flamboyant, flashy, ministry, powerful spotlight. It looks like a lot of behind the scenes, researching, digging, reading, studying, asking questions, and going deep in that way. I think that kind of separates it from a lot of other things. There's a level of humility that it requires to redig out wells. 
because you're not doing it for recognition or to feed some level of approval, even in yourself. You're really doing it because it's his dream and it's what he desires. That becomes the motivator. Uh, so, so that research process, now that can look many ways. Like, remember I was saying there's always two wells. There's the wells in us and the wells in the land. Yeah. So to redig the well within us, obviously could look like some family genealogy. And again, I know that could even seem overwhelming to people, but not really because the technology we have at our fingertips makes it so easy today. Yeah. And there are a few free uh, sites that you could use besides Ancestry. So here's some practical ones that I've used. Obviously, you could use Ancestry.com if you want to dig some wells out of your own family line. Great. So it's a subscription, but they got great records. A free source is FamilySearch.org. FamilySearch.org has an incredible database of genealogical records that are free. You just have to create a, a simple account that you have access to. I know this sounds a little weird, but it's really awesome. It's called findagrave.com. <laughs> findagrave.com, great site, free. And they have over 2.9 million cemetery records in America and in, in the nations. And basically, if you have a relative and you're trying to figure out where they were buried maybe 50 years ago, 100 years ago, a lot of times, if they're there, they'll have pictures of the cemetery, where they are, and even some biography information that will give you more understanding about, about your family. So yeah, so that's what it looks like for, for me, digging wells out of my family, digging wells out of the land, could obviously researching that out. Um, it could look like what you were mentioning, Matthew. Was there any revival movement that happened here in the past? Was there anything that God did in the past? For instance, Azusa Street Revival. Okay, that's Los Angeles, California. Well, let me do a Google search on the history of God's moving in Los Angeles, California. Uh, let me do a, a search on what what churches have birthed out of Los Angeles, California over the years. And like with so many things, this is the third step. If you can begin to identify themes and patterns mm. out of your research or what you discover, then you can begin to discern this is where grace is on. Right. This is the grace is on this in this land. Because now there's been a historical pattern repeating itself of what God did in this city or this region over an extended period of time. So if we took Shechem, for example, Joshua 24 is not the first time. It's actually Genesis 12. Genesis 12, 1, Abraham builds the first altar at Shechem. Then you see Joshua 24, Joshua puts Joseph's bones at Shechem. And then you see John 4. Jesus revisits the woman at Shechem, and then you go into Acts 5, 6, and 7, and when Philip is sent to Samaria, he's actually sent to Shechem, Sychar, where the Holy Spirit breaks out, and the apostles anoint them when the Holy Spirit gives. So you look at the progression. God loves to revisit the same place over and over. Hmm. And when you look at a higher view, you can see the theme and the repetitive patterns in those passages of what God's doing, you could see a, a theme that helps you tap into the storyline over the actual region. Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. I believe that God has unique purposes, unique destiny for cities, for churches, for regions, for nations, people groups. And yeah, what you're talking about is beginning to get insight into God's prophetic purposes, his his destiny, his desire for those peoples, for those places. And we can see through history the way those have begun to manifest. 
at times. And I think even sometimes, even some of the negative things that you discover in histories of land give us insight because a lot of times the enemy will war against God's purposes. And then you can realize, oh, okay, there's has been a place of division and that kind of thing. Maybe God's purposes for our city is actually that it would be a place of unity, reconciliation, and things like that. And so, yeah, totally agree. There's God has a purpose. God has a uh, destiny for, I believe, individual congregations, individual cities, nations, people mm-hmm. groups. And part of what we're talking about is, is lining ourselves up with that, becoming aware of that. And then we can mm. begin to line our lives up and our prayers. We can be in a, to line up our intercession in, in alignment with God's purposes, His desire. Like you said, not only in the written word, the logos, but also in the rhema word, the, the specific things that He has for the land that we find ourselves in. Yes. And then when we begin to line ourselves up, man, that's when things start breaking open, don't they? When we begin to pray yeah. prayers in alignment with His word, and we begin to to begin to live and act in a way that's in agreement with with those purposes, we really begin to see his power released. Well, and here's another way to look at what you just said, Matthew, which is exciting, is that there are two concepts also here. There's the power of the opened well and the power of the open heaven. Mm. And so when the, when the well and the earth and the land is open, there is a connection that opens up a well in the sky. I mean, right? Jacob's ladder. There hmm. are angels ascending and descending in that ladder, right? So there are pockets and places, I believe, in the earth that have those things. And I've also seen in Scripture where there is a, such a connection point of as the well opens up, it triggers the air to open up. It triggers the, the open heaven. And what I mean by open heaven, I'm talking about the spiritual atmosphere. I'm talking about the spiritual atmosphere of a city and region. I mean, you can go through some cities right now in America. You walk in them and you feel it feels dark. I'm not going to name any right now. Right. But I'm just saying it feels dark. It's true. It feels slimy. It's like, whoa, oppressive. But yet I can walk into another city and it doesn't feel that way. It yeah. feels light, feels clear. It feels that we could use the term right that the air is thin. And I believe that that has a lot to do with the spiritual atmosphere. Uh, over that place. And so the more I believe that as we follow him and we're actually able to see wells open up and redig them, what we're doing is we're realigning, I like that word, we're realigning, we're realigning our cities to the original purpose that God had for them. Yeah. So good. I love it. Yeah. I mean, just quick example. I mean, we're here in Greenville, North Carolina. We have the largest medical facility east of Raleigh, I believe you know, part of God's, even on the little city symbol for our city, there's like a leaf on it, you know, and I'm the Bible says, you know, there's leaves for the healing of the nations, you know, so I believe healing is one of the destinies of, of our city, wow. you know what I mean? And there's, there's others, you know, but I think you can begin to, to see God's purposes as you begin to study and pray and see what God's doing. Yeah. But I love that with Jacob, that, that Jacob had a well, but he also had a ladder. That's good. <laughs> I like that. That's right. I love That's that. That's awesome. Well, man, um, give us a sense of, of of how this is kind of playing out with you nowadays. I mean, I know you're you're there in Greenville. I mean, I, I know there's even some storyline related to <laughs> how you got there and and what's stirring there. But as we kind of get closer to the end of the podcast here, give us a sense of like what's what's stirring there in Greenville, South Carolina. Kind of what's the latest in your journey? 
Absolutely. Well, my journey from uh, North Carolina to South Carolina has been really one of maturity. I guess I could put that on there. And the best way I can do it personally is when when we were together, when we were uh, had the Jesus tent, we were moving around in that season. I think there was a really strong call on my wife and I to be revivalists, to be igniters, to help start fires, to help clear the spiritual environments and atmospheres out of cities and regions so that the gospel could go forth strong. So dreams could flow and touch people and, and, and so that, you know, those, those things could happen. As I transition to Greenville, I feel like the Lord has moved me more into a fatherly role. Mm. It's not that, you you know, being part of a revivalist igniting fires ever leaves. It's But we mature. We, we grow right? as we follow him, as we deepen him, we grow in different places. And so I feel that personally, we've moved into more of a father and mothering role versus us taking the tent out and being troops on the ground as we were before. And so now we have more of a responsibility to raise up the next generation, to pass the stories along, to equip them with just the fire that it does take to do something like that. And so for me, it has definitely been more of a shift into fathering and mothering. And that's that's mainly our role over the over the college yeah. is to be a father uh, over over the students. And I'm I'm learning in my own process and journey, Matthew, that it really is the highest call. I think some sometimes we get this confused, especially in our spirit filled charismatic circles that I, I mean I've been a part of for so many years, is that I used to ask the God this question. Is it apostle and prophet or is it fathers and sons? Hmm. Good question. Because I, yeah. I, I hear both and I know both have such a strong, you know, in on one hand, you know, you have Ephesians four, right? The the grace for the apostolic, the prophetic to build, equip the saints in the church. But then also we have Paul in Corinthians saying, you have 10,000 teachers, but the condition that the church is in is not because you don't have less apostolic and prophetic things going on. It's because you don't have any fathers stepping up. And I I feel like we're in a season right now where God has reconciled that in my own life. And so what that looks like for me is having the lens of there's a missional side and then there's a relational side. And I, I believe that a lot of us, sometimes we can, we could move as prophets and evangelists and, and teachers and somehow forget that we're fathers first. So it's not that, that it's wrong, but it's the order of things. Yeah. Mary and Martha both bring things to the table, but Jesus said it's better if it's Martha first and then Martha out of that place. I believe that God is calling the global church into a higher role of fathering and mothering not so much being apostolic and prophetic, although it's very important, but it's the order of it. It's it's fathering and mothering and letting our missional apostolic and prophetic flow out of that place. Um, I feel personally, that's where I'm at. And that's what God's been doing with Amber and I. And so it's been quite a journey. But again, this is what I overall feel for the the church is I feel from the father, he really wants to mature the bride. I mean, yeah. where this thing is going, right? We're the bride of Christ, the Shulamite bridal identity. Um, and he really wants a mature bride for his son. And I believe that's why there's such a call of raising up fathers and mothers in this hour. Yes. Come on. So good. I love it, man. Well, Mike, thank you for being on the podcast today. And uh, I think people are really going to be encouraged by all of this. Hey, if, if people want to connect with you or with 
Garden College there in South Carolina. What's what's the best way they can do that? Oh man, absolutely. Guys, you can check our website. It's gardencollege.com. Also, we're on social media as Garden College, you know, uh, Instagram, especially and those social media platforms. And our church is called the Garden Greenville. And uh, our school runs out of the church. So we're all together. We're all one. So, but yeah, love, love for you to check it out. Yeah. Hey, Mike, would you mind closing us out in prayer and just praying for people that are tuning in? Absolutely. Father, I just thank you right now just for you and who you are. And I thank you so much how you lead us. You know, your leadership is without flaws. It is perfect. And you lead us to to see things break open in cities and regions. And my prayer right now is whoever's listening, your leadership would overtake their life right now and that you would begin to speak to them, that you would begin to uncap wells within them that have been locked and stuffed for way too long. Just as you broke open the well of love in the Samaritan woman's heart, Father, I pray that you would break open the well of your presence, of your joy in anyone listening. Mm -hmm. And I pray, Father, that you would equip them, equip them with joy, equip them with mercy, equip them with grace and strength in the days ahead. And I pray, Father, that uh, the, the missional assignments on their life will become more clear as they continually abide and connect with you, Father. And so, Lord, give us that generation. I'm, I'm praying, Father, give us that mature generation. Give mm-hmm. us that mature bride that you're longing for, that you're aching for, uh, that won't be easily offended. But, Father, that we'll have the ability of long-suffering, that we'll have the ability to get our hands dirty, that we'll have the ability to dig things out of our culture and to dig things out of this generation that maybe get messy or that maybe get hurtful, but that will stick to it. God, give us that generation of mothers and fathers who will continually dig out the truths and the treasures, but then also all the hurts and pains that this generation carries, Father, so that we could be a mature bride, that we could be a mature Shulamite bride ready to receive your son. Mm -hmm. So we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today. And don't forget, Jesus changes everything.